Um, one of the things that happens, you know, I, I just think God's word is so amazing. And um, most of the time, I know weeks ahead of time that I'm going to share, you know, it just is only fair for Doug to have some time where he can relax and stuff. And so Byron and myself will step in every six or seven weeks or so and, and share. And I always pray, God, um, use me as an instrument so that the stuff I share can be applicable in people's lives, can be transformational to people so that they really can have their life changed. Because I really believe that, that to the degree that Satan can minimize the impact of God's word is to the degree that he can prevent transformation from happening in our lives. And I think it's so easy for us to get into the routine of coming to church and then leaving. And we leave the same person that we were when we got here. And you know, last week, um, if you weren't here last week, listen to the message. It was really good. <laughs> but we talked about not coming to Grace Fellowship, but coming to the God of Grace Fellowship. See, when we come, we're not just singing songs. We're not just critiquing our worship team. We're coming to lift our arms to the God of the universe and proclaim truth in our hearts, to that's the God that we worship. I mean, that is so powerful. And, and, and God wants to do a transforming work in us. We, we just need to be willing to be transformed. And last Sunday, you know, I talked about how um, things are handed down from generation to generation to generation. And I got home Sunday afternoon, and um, I was just kind of resting and reflecting, and the message just kept coming back to me. And all day Monday, it just kept coming back to me. And you know, we talked last Sunday about how the Word of God is the inspired Word of God. And when you take the inspired word of God and you take the spirit of God that's in you and you take the spirit of God and the word of God comes, it, it, it makes a difference in your life. And God wants to take that and he wants to work in us as a result of that. And so Monday, I was just, I was just really working through this message. I go, God, I got next week to work on. I don't have time for this past week's message. He goes, listen, Dave. How you doing? So I'm fine, God. Well, how's your marriage? It's, it's fine. He goes, well, you know, um, Dave, I, I began a good work in you, and I'm going to continue to perfect that good work. And so um, just so you know, um, fine falls quite a bit short of perfect. I go, oh, good. That's, that's going to be a good conversation. I can tell already. He says, you know, the enemy of perfect, Dave, is fine. And I'm not going to let you stop at fine. See, Mar Marge deserves better than fine. So I want, you to, I want you to think through some things because you've been talking about these past experiences that get handed down from generation to generation, and you've had a few of those. And I know that those are things that you're working on and those are things that you're dealing with and stuff, but, you know, I, I want you to take that another level. 
I want you to, I want you to spend some time talking through those things with March. And he goes, I've worked it out. You know, your daughter, um, she and I kind of worked out a plan. And, you know, you're going to be going to Palm Springs for four days. And um, you're going to be in a car with your wife for two hours on the way to Palm Springs. So I have a thought. Instead of sitting there, not saying anything for two hours in total silence. Men, do we ever do that? I can drive for 16 hours and not say three syllables. It's not because I'm thinking of anything. There's nothing there, which is probably why nothing's coming out. But he goes, you know, why don't you talk to Marge about the things that I'm talking to you about? (laughs) Good idea, God. And so, you know, we took off Tuesday morning and we're driving to Palm Springs and, um, you know, it's traffic and stuff, so I don't say anything for the first half hour because we're in traffic and it just wasn't appropriate. And after 40 minutes, it's like we're still in transition and God says, look, it, either you're going to have a flat tire, your engine's going to blow up, or you're going to talk to your wife. Which one do you want? Because <laughs> you're like halfway through this thing and you better start talking. And so... I did. I started talking, you know, and, and we talked about some of those things, and we talked about the things that I brought into the marriage, and, 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 you know, my commitment to my wife is to love her like Christ loved the church. God says, you know, you are just a tad short of that. And so we, we just talked through some things, and it was so rich for us just to share our hearts and share those things that we want God to continue to work out of our marriage. Because here's the thing. You know, I'm going to be, it's going to be 38 years in June. I mean, that is amazing that she put up with me for 38 years. But you know, it's, it's, the, it's the awesome understanding that God wants to transform our marriage year after year after year. The worst thing that could happen is we get into this marriage routine, this marriage rut, doing the same way, the same time, doing the same things, behaving the same way, year after year, day after day, month after month, and not having transformational change in it where you really are able to see Jesus glorified through the stuff that he's doing in our lives personally and as a couple. That is just so rich when that happens. And it was such a great time sharing as God allowed us to just renew our love for each other and our desire to glorify him and who we're becoming in Christ. So I say all that to just encourage you as we get into this message to let God's word change you, to let God's word penetrate in a way that's transformational in your life. Because it's true. Paul, when he said, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you, it was a good work that he began, and he's going to continue to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Man, that is so encouraging to me. Then there's no point between now and glory where he is going to stop doing that. It doesn't matter what's going on. He is going to be perfecting the work he began. Man, that is hope. Yep, that one really needs some perfecting. Yep. 
Got that screen working though. <laughs> and so as, as we get into it, you know, I really want to encourage you. Allow God to work in you. Allow God to take what he's doing and just seep it down into your being and allow it to be life-changing. So I'm going to pray before we get started. We haven't started yet, huh? <laughs> Good news is it's only one chapter this Sunday, not three chapters like last Sunday. But I also want to pray for um, those men and women who sacrificially gave their lives for our country. And tomorrow we're going to honor them and I just want to take a minute to just thank God for them. It's so easy for us to take for granted the price that was paid so we could come here and worship with no fear, no worry about any kind of persecution or anything. It's a rich country we live in. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the men and women that serve in our forces and for those that gave their lives for us, Lord. We pray for their families. We pray for the memories of those families, and Lord, we just pray that, that um, they would be comforted and strengthened by you. And Lord, we just pray for those that are serving, Lord, that they potentially could become um, casualties, Lord, that you protect them. And Lord, we just pray that all of them just come to know you and the, the eternal um, price that was paid for them by our Savior, Jesus. And we pray also this morning as we come into your presence that your word would be transformational, that you would talk to us, that it would make sense to us, and that it would be things that we would really bring healing to our lives, strengthening to our lives, and change to our lives. And we just give you the glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be in Genesis 37. And as we get into Genesis 37, I want, to, I want to talk a little bit about what's going on and what we talked about last Sunday, because we talked about the family dynamic that occurs you know, as a family heritage has grown, and that last Sunday we talked about three things that were handed down generationally that, that caused issues and consequences within the family. And I want to talk a little bit too, because we mentioned this last week, but I don't want, it, I don't want us to miss it, because... Good things get handed down generationally and negative things get handed down generationally. And so we see some things handed down in, J in, in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that were really, really good things. And so we're going to look at some of those today, but the three things that really caused the most grief in those generations were favoritism, deception, and competition. And we saw how that created all kinds of negative consequences um, in the family as they went through the results of that. The other thing we talked about, and I, I want us to understand this because when we get into this chapter, we're gonna go, really? Really? Because it won't make sense to us because we're on the outside looking in. But when you realize that, that the things that get handed down to us from generation to generation to generation are so common in our family that we don't even recognize that they're happening. They, they're just happening. And so the favoritism that gets played is so common among their generations that they don't even recognize it. The competition that's occurring is so common, they don't even recognize it. Being deceptive is so common that that's just how you behave. If you grew up in a family where all you did was make excuses, it's going to be very natural for you to make excuses. You're not going to think, oh, that's wrong. That's just what we do. If you grew up in a family where we just blame everybody for something, 
We're not going to think, well, that's, that's, just how, that's just how we behave. It's very normal, very common, and we don't even recognize that maybe it might be destructive. Are you with me? And so as we look at these three things, favoritism, deception, and competition, this is just, this is how their family lives. So let's get into Genesis 37, first verse. Good news is it's only one chapter. I got started later last Sunday, and we got through all three chapters, so we should be good. Now Joseph lived in the land where his father had sojourned, in the land of Canaan. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pastoring the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. You know, I'm going I'm to stop there. Maybe we won't get through this as fast as I thought. Um, this is important because this gives us some history. Bilhah, who was Bilhah? Anybody? Laugh from last Sunday? Rachel's maid. Zilpah was? Leah's maid. So we had this baby birthing competition. Leah, the maids, Rachel, to see who could have the most babies. Twelve came out of those relationships. Four wives, twelve sons. Okay? So we have twelve sons coming out of four different wives. Ten of the twelve sons came from three of the wives that Jacob did not love. Okay? He got stuck with Leah. And then Bilhan Zilpah just came along because Leah and Rachel needed help having more babies. Okay, so you got 10 sons who are born to mothers that Jacob really didn't love. And by implication, they are sons that Jacob really doesn't love. Are you with me? Two of the sons came from Rachel, who Jacob loved deeply, and therefore the two sons he loved deeply. So this is the situation as we get into this chapter. Ten of the sons are very jealous of two of the sons based on 20-some years of family dynamic of this is my favorite, this is my favorite wife. I really, all that stuff was going on. Are you with me? They grew up in this type of an environment. And then last Sunday, we looked at some of the results of that. Dinah, the son of Leah, gets raped. Jacob does nothing. The brothers come back from the passion and go, why didn't you do anything? You didn't do anything because she is Leah's daughter and you really don't care about her because she's Leah's daughter? Well, we'll do something about it. And they go and they kill all the men in Shechem. And incidentally, they did that and nothing happened. Jacob didn't do anything. He says, well, okay. We see later on in chapter 36 that Rachel has Benjamin. As she dies, she names him, and, J- and J- Jacob renames him to the, the one on my, this, on my right hand, which didn't go over well with Reuben. And as a result, Reuben went in and had relations with Bilhah, Rachel's maid. Again, no consequences. So here are the sons out of control, and there really aren't any consequences to the behavior that's going on. Okay, that's important to understand, because as we get into the rest of this chapter, we're going to see the sons doing stuff, and we're just going to shake our head and go, Really? Is that what happens with families? So let's get into the rest of this. So, and Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. So he was out in the, in the, in the pasture, comes back, tells Jacob what's going on, and it wasn't good. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was a son of his old age. Who was the wife that finally had a baby when he was old? Rachel. So finally, the woman that he loved had a son, Joseph. 
So really, in his mind, it was his first son. And he made him a very colored tunic. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, and so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Okay, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about this because I think there's a lot of misconceptions about Joseph, and I, I studied a lot of commentaries, I studied scripture, I really prayed through this thing, I asked God what makes sense, and, and I, I, read, I read so many commentators, it says Joseph was this spoiled brat little boy who was tattling on his, son, on his brothers all the time. And therefore, his brothers didn't like him because he was a spoiled brat and they just, they just didn't like the spoiled brat. Well, that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says that, that, that Jacob loved Joseph more than all the sons and because he was a son of his old age, he made him a very colored toy. And his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Why did they hate him? Why were they jealous of him? Because of what Joseph did or who Joseph happened to be and what Jacob did. It was really because of what, what Jacob was doing and showing favoritism. And so I really think that, that when, jo- when, when, when Joseph came out of the pasture and Jacob goes, so what's going on? How are, the son- how are my sons doing? How are things going out there? You have 10 sons that have no respect for their father. There's no control over their sons because there's nothing that happens if they do wrong. What do you think that they're going to do? Have you ever had teenage boys that, you, that could do whatever they wanted and there are absolutely no consequences? <laughs> that, that creativity runs wild. So, so when Joseph comes back and says, hey, here's what's going on, you think it's going to be good news? No, it's not going to be good news. And, and I really think that Joseph was, was, was coming and telling his dad the truth. Here's what's going on. I am not going to lie And I'm not going to lie to you to protect my brothers. Now, here's an interesting thing about Joseph. And this is why I believe this is who Joseph is. Because you know that Joseph, other than Jesus, is the only person in the Bible who has no recorded sin written about him. Huh. Now, don't misunderstand me. Joseph was not sinless. Okay, Jesus was sinless. But if Joseph had no recorded sin written about him, would, would, would he just be this spoiled brat, tattletale kid, and then all of a sudden just like instantly changed? I, I just, I don't think so. I mean, how many spoiled brats do you know that when they don't get their way, they just instantly mature? <laughs> yeah. Other than me, anybody else? So, so I, don't, I don't think that was a thing. Really, I think, I think we're looking at favoritism, the result of favoritism, because Jacob was, had a favorite son. The brothers were jealous, they were envious, and they really were angry about what was going on, and they hated him, and they hated him to the degree that they couldn't even say anything nice about them. And I just want to talk a little bit about jealousy, because I think jealousy is, is, is a cancer. I mean, it's a cancer that can spread through our entire being. And when we start becoming jealous of somebody because either they have something that we think they could have because things aren't fair, for whatever the reason, it gets to the point where we cannot even see anything that's positive that's happening in their life. And we filter everything that happens through this filter of jealousy, and it changes reality for us. 
And it doesn't matter what that person does. We're going we're to see it as something that's negative. And it's so destructive when we allow jealousy to rise up and become all-consuming in our life. Psalm 27 says this in verse 4. You can write it down, look it up later. But Psalm 27, 4 says this. Wrath is fierce and anger is a flood. But who could stand before jealousy? Man, wrath is something that's really tough. Anger, it could be just hard to deal with. But who can stand against jealousy? It's relentless. James says it like this in James 3, verse 16. He says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. When we get jealous, when jealous begins to consume us, then it becomes something, the following thing is hatred. And when we get jealous and jealous moves to hatred, it moves to behavior that would typically be behavior we probably would never do, but we find ourselves doing it. And then we justify our ability to do it or the reason that we do it because those people are so bad anyway. And it feels so good. And so what do we find ourselves doing when we're jealous, right? Have you ever been around in a circle where there's three or four people and they all hate one guy? And, and they get into this feeding frenzy about how bad that person is. And do you know what he did this? And you know what he said that? We just feel so good when we can vent. And we can take that jealousy and we can continue to feed it. And there's 10 brothers who are able to do that out in the pasture all the time. And they just, they just hated Joseph more and more and more. And they just fed each other this stuff. And then Jacob helped a lot, right, by saying, hey, he's my favorite. Look, and I'm going to give him this cloak. You guys don't get any of that stuff. But I don't think it was as much Joseph as it was Jacob and the brothers. And on top of the stuff that Jacob was doing to demonstrate that he loved Joseph more than he loved the sons, the sons couldn't see the forest for the trees, the sons were so consumed by jealousy and so consumed by hatred that they couldn't see what God was doing. And so a lot of the stuff that was happening in them was happening because of their own selfish, self-centered ambitions, and they weren't being met, and they were determining things that weren't fair, weren't right. And so they allowed their own self to be consumed with jealousy because of their own selfishness. You can deal with favoritism if you have your heart right. If you don't have your heart right, it becomes a mess. So that's, the, that's where we are as we get into the rest of this story, okay? So we can really understand emotionally what's going on. Because I don't want to just read this nice story and not emotionally experience it and then be able to relate it to some of what's going on in our life. So as we go to um, verse, verse 5, I want us to look at, at two things. There's two dreams that happen, and then there's two coincidences that happen. And I think it's just awesome. We talked last, last uh, Sunday about how God always shows up. And I love how God shows up. And then just coincidentally, when God shows up, things happen. You know, it's just coincidence that God talks to me on Sunday and Monday and, and convicts me that I, I need to have a conversation with my wife and I need to love my wife more like he loves a church. I need not only to have it be good or great, it needs to be perfect. 
and just happens that on Tuesday, the next day, we're driving for two hours to Palm Springs. What a coincidence. No, yeah. And so we're gonna look at that. When God, when God wants something to happen, God is able to put things in place that allows the things that, are, that need to happen to happen. Are you with me? So here we go, we're in verse five. Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, please listen to this dream which I have had. For behold, we are binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and stood erect, and behold, your sheaf gathered, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Then his brother said to him, are you actually going to reign over us, or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now again... I read some commentators that say, here's the spoiled brat boy coming and throwing it in his brother's face. I don't think so. I think here's a guy that just had an experience with God and is sharing with his brothers the experience he had with God. Verse nine, now he had still another dream and related it to his brothers and said, lo, I have had still another dream and behold, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And, and he related it to his father and to his brothers and his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. So, so a few things about the dreams, okay? Old Testament didn't have this, okay? God spoke to me Sunday and Monday. You know how he spoke to me? He made me preach the stupid thing. <laughs> yeah, I hate it when I have to preach because he always goes, if you're gonna talk about it, you better be doing it. But at the word of God is, is how God talks to us. In the Old Testament, God would talk to him in dreams or he would just show up. And, and so Joseph had dreams and usually if there's two dreams, it reinforces that it's God. Now, now I, I believe the brothers knew that God spoke in dreams because I, I, the, the generational process of handing things down was through stories. And, and I, I, I'm sure that Jacob talked to his sons about how he had this dream and what this dream was all about and why his name is now Israel and not Jacob and all the things that God was doing to take him from really believing in the God of Abraham and Isaac to believing that he is my God. And when he started naming things, my God, the God of Bethel, and he started owning that relationship with God, I, I believe that the brothers knew that God speaks in dreams. Jacob definitely knew because it says he pondered these things. Huh. What's God trying to tell him? And I'm pretty confident, now this is speculation, but I'm pretty confident that if one of the dreams was had by one of the brothers, that they would come and tell their brothers too. God, I have this dream. It's the weirdest thing. The issue, again, wasn't the dream. The issue was the fact that Joseph was the dreamer. And they already hated Joseph. So there's nothing that Joseph could do that was right. Now, here's the interesting thing. The second dream said that there were stars, the sun, the moon, and the stars. The brothers were the stars. The stars are leaders. So if the brothers were actually listening to God and going, okay, what is this really all about? They would have known that God had in his plan for them to be leaders in the nation of Israel. 
And the amazing thing about this whole story is here are 10 brothers that are so jealous, so filled with hatred that they can't even see that God is preparing them to be part of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And the amazing thing to me is, is that God still does it. Amen? Do you ever feel like, man, I have been so lost and I've messed up so much that there's no way God could use me? I am like beyond hope. And here are these guys that are so full of jealousy and hatred that God can't use them except to fulfill his plan in a way that is pretty bizarre. And yet God still establishes them as the 12 tribes of Israel. That is how powerful God is and how God's mercy is so overwhelming and his grace is so powerful in our lives that he continues to move in our lives to transform us and to bring us down his path in a way that allows us to grow in him, to respond to him, and to um, be used as a part of his plan. Just encourages me. So as we move into um, verse 12 through 14, his brothers went to pasture their father's flock in Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pastoring the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. And he said to him, I will go. Then he said to him, Go now and see about the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. Okay, so I want you to look at this because this is, this is, this is the amazing thing because we're going to look at two coincidences that go along with these two dreams. Okay, so if you look at the map, Shech, uh, Hebron is down here at the bottom. Okay, they, they were um, um, pastoring the flocks there on the other side of Jerusalem, somewhere between Hebron and there. Now they're all the way up in Shechem. That's 50 miles. So first of all, Joseph's going to walk 50 miles, okay? So somebody says, hey, can you bring a message to somebody? They're down in like, Huntington Beach, and I need you to walk down there. Yeah, <laughs> like right now. So, so Joseph was not this sissy guy. I mean, and if you look at the, the topography here, this is a lot of mountainous area that goes from Hebron to Shechem. Sheep graze in these, in these pastures up in the mountains. That's where there's all the grass and stuff. And so he goes 50 miles to Shechem to find his brothers. Now, why his brothers were 50 miles away? Um, who knows? My guess is that the farther away you get from Jacob, the more bad things you can do and the harder it is for him to find out. But that's just my bias. So um, Israel says, you know, sends him and he says, I will go. And then 15, the first coincidence. After going 50 miles, a man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field, and the man asked him, what are you looking for? And he said, I'm looking for my brothers. Please tell me, where are they pastoring the flock? Then the man said, they have moved from here, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now, Dothan is another 15 miles north of Shechem, okay, all the way up at the top. Okay, so, so here's the thing that is amazing to me. You know, Marge and I will go to Colorado usually for, well, actually for a long time this, this year, but we're, we go and we just take our Jeep, Jeep back into back country, and we just go back into just God's country. It's awesome. But there's always shepherds out there, and it is amazing because you see these sheep, and they're scattered all over the place. And we'll see, we'll see them like one time they're in this, this valley, we come back the next year, and they're, and they're like 10 miles away in another valley. 
And, 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 and so here, here is, here is, here's Joseph coming in looking for his sons. It's not like they said, okay, we're going to go to Deca and we're, we're second. We're just going to put all the sheep in the city and we're just keeping them. I mean, they could be anywhere within 20 miles. So he goes 50 miles to look for his brothers who could be anywhere around Shechem and he sees a man who happens to see him wandering through the field after a 50-mile trip. Who knows where he ended up around Shechem, but this guy happens to see him and then the same guy happens to overhear his brothers say, oh, we're going to take our, our flock over to Dothan. What a coincidence. When God wants to, wants to orchestrate his plan, he just has a way of making things happen. And so often, don't we look at it and go, well, that was lucky, right? No, it wasn't lucky. It was God. God was working. Verse 18. And when they saw him from a distance and before he came close to them, he plotted against them to put him to death. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Now then, come, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits and we will say a wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what will happen to this dreams. It's amazing how, when hatred and jealousy starts consuming us, how far will drop in our morality and, and uh, our actions. They already demonstrated there was no problem when he killed the whole city full of men, and now they're going to kill their own brother. And it's okay. We just rationalize our behavior because of it. But Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands and said, let us not take his life. Reuben further said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit that is in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him, that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. So here's Reuben, the oldest. And Reuben's responsible. Now, he's starting to go, okay, I, I'm responsible for Joseph. This would be devastating if something happened to Joseph because I'm the one who's going to inherit the blessing and I need to prove that I'm responsible. But, but he's able to stop them from killing them, but he isn't able to have enough leadership to just stop them. Now, maybe you and I might go, listen, we are not touching Joseph. Okay, you guys got that? We're not going to kill him. We're not going to grab him. We're not going to do anything to him. Are you, are you got that? Now, if he was a leader, he'd do that. You know what he said? Don't kill him. Just throw him in the pit so I can come get him later. Seems like the ringleaders probably were Simeon and Levi who, who had a lot of the, the leadership and stuff and Reuben was just trying to prevent the disaster. So the second coincidence. It says that, that it came about when Joseph reached his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very colored tunic that was on him and they took him and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty without any water in it. And this is amazing to me. So Joseph is naked in a pit. He's probably going, okay, guys, that was not funny. It's still not funny. Come on, get me out of here. This isn't funny. And so he's calling out to them. And you know what they do? They sit down and eat. <laughs> you are callous when you can strip your brother naked and throw him in a pit and then eat lunch while he's calling to you saying, hey, this isn't really funny, you guys. And so now we have the second coincidence. And as they raised their eyes and looked, behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead with their camels bearing aromatic, aromatic cum and balm and myrrh on their way to bring down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? 
Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he's our brother. Yeah, that's good. Our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then some Midianite traders passed by, so they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph into Egypt. Now Reuben returned to the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, so he tore his garments. He was freaked out because he's responsible. He returned to his brothers and said, the boy's not there. As for me, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? And then the brothers apparently told him what happened. So, so here we have, you know, the impact of favoritism, competition, con, you know, deception, all the stuff that is handed down really becomes impactful. There's no consequences to what they do. They've learned that there's no consequences. So we, what we want to do, because we're jealous and we're full of hate, is we want to get rid of that which makes me jealous and full of hate. Isn't that how we work? It's not like I'm really jealous. So I need to fix myself, right? I need to come to God and say, God, you need to heal me. You need to take care of whatever it is that's making me jealous. No, I'm not jealous because it's my fault. I'm jealous because it's that person's fault. And what I want to do is get rid of that person because they deserve to be getting rid of because I have filtered out. I see them through my jealousy and hatred. And so that was their stuff. And by the way, there's no consequences to anything we do. So let's just kill him. Solve our problem. Get rid of him. It's so easy for us to fall into that, right? And Reuben says, no, 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 we can't do that. So they end up selling him, which is great. And incidentally, Judah is the fourth of the four sons that Leah had. So, so all that we've heard in these last four chapters have about, been about Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, the four oldest boys, all sons of Leah, all with ramifications to the favoritism, competition, deception, stuff that's been handed down, and then living that out in their lives. And coincidentally, when these sons are trying to take action into their own hands, a caravan shows up. Wow, what a coincidence. And so they take Joseph, they pull him out of the pit, they take him naked to this Midian caravan and they sell him. Now they really made out because they got rid of Joseph and they made some money. I mean, could it get any better than that? And they don't have to worry the guilt of him being dead on their, on their spirit, on their soul, on their minds, on their psyche. So it really worked out really well for them. And it's interesting as we look through this, as we pick it up on verse 29. Now Reuben returned to the pit. He was all upset. So they took Joseph's tunic in verse 31 and slaughtered a male goat and dipped, it, dipped the tunic in the blood. And they sent the very color tunic and brought it to their father and said, we found this. Please examine it to see whether it is your son's tunic or not. Then he examined it and said, it is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. So Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his loins, and mourned for many days. So before we get into Joseph's response, I want to, I want to talk about this, this process. First of all, just from a logical point of view, I'm thinking, how would they know where Joseph was if he got torn up by a wild animal? I mean, it's 50 stinking miles. So where'd you find him, you guys? Well, you know, did you like take a helicopter and do a search party and look for tunics? I mean, how do you find a, a guy that, that walked... 50 miles, well, 65 miles to them. But apart from that, they took, they took an animal, they killed it, 
They dipped his clothes in it and they brought it to their father. What happened when Joseph deceived Isaac? They took Esau's clothes, put them on Jacob, killed an animal, put the animal skin on Jacob so that Jacob could go in and deceive his father. Now here's the thing. What are the consequences of that? And we talked about this last week. Jacob, because he deceived his father, really got Esau mad at him. Esau was so jealous and full of hatred. What do you want to do? Kill him. Huh. Wow. So Esau wanted to kill Jacob and the brothers wanted to do what? Kill Joseph. Jacob had to leave for 20 years. Did he ever see his mother again? No. She died while he was still with Laban. So the relationship that Rebekah had with Jacob, her favorite son, the one that she loved, because of the deception, she never got to see him again. Jacob, because he loved Joseph, it was his favorite son, technically, from what we know today, will never see Joseph again. So what are the consequences when we hand things down generation to generation to generation and then when they're so common to us that we don't even recognize that we're doing them and yet we pass down the consequences from generation to generation to generation? It's only by the grace of God, the word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit that those things can come to our mind, we can sit down and talk them through, and we can begin to change our family heritage by allowing the Holy Spirit through the word of God to transform our lives. That is such good news. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but that is really good news to me. Because how hard is it, like Ricky was sharing earlier, to just have this hopelessness about what's going on in our lives because there's no God that's in control. And there's no God that has a plan. And there's no God that loves me. And now this is just this hopeless thing that just keeps handed down from generation to generation to generation. And we see again part of, of Jacob's heart it says, Jacob tore his clothes in verse 34, put sackcloth on his loins, and mourned for his son many days. Then all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, surely I will go down to Sheol in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. Basically, Jacob is saying that this is so devastating that I, that, that I, I will never overcome it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mourn him until I die. And it's all the undercurrent of the things that, that we do in our lives. And then, and then as we get to, to verse 36, it says, Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in Egypt, Potiphar, to, sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. And what I want to do for a few minutes this morning as we wrap this thing up is I want us to see, um, I, want, I want us to not know the end of the story. You know, it's really easy to read this because we know the end of the story. It's no big deal. Come on, Joseph. I want us to, I want us to be like this the first time we've read this and we can't wait to turn the chapter and see what happened. 
Imagine how Joseph must be feeling. Think about this. He has these two dreams. And he goes, man, you guys are going to bow down to me. I mean, do you ever read scripture and you just know how God's going to work it out? You know? I'm going to love Marge like Christ loved the church. And then, you know, she's just going to be this perfect wife. And, you know, it's going to be easy to love her. And she's never going to do anything to make me mad. And things are going to be good. And our kids are always going to behave. And, and I have these expectations of how that's going to happen. And you, you know how often our expectations actually happen the way we expect them to happen? Yeah, they don't. And so here's Joseph with these expectations of how this thing is going to be fulfilled. I'm sure he didn't know exactly how, but he knew that at some point in time, his brothers were going to come bow down to him. And he's thinking, that is awesome. That is awesome. And and, and this undercurrent of, of competition and hatred and jealousy was so common that it never occurred to him or his father that his brothers may hate him enough that they would want to kill him. And yet God had this perfect plan and the two coincidences that happened were a part of God's perfect plan. And so even though the brothers had no idea that they were participating in God's plan, they were actually participating in God's plan. So when somebody does something that you don't like, they're participating in God's plan. Get that. That's so important for us to understand. And when things are happening, Joseph had to be so discouraged so frustrated, so depressed. Think about this. He, he, he comes to his brothers. The next thing he knows, he's naked in a pit. And he's going, you guys, this isn't funny, man. Get me out of here. So they take him out. He goes, finally. And then they, they, they take him over to this caravan, and they sell him naked to this caravan. So now he's walking through the desert naked behind some camel. Go, this, this is really not how I pictured it, God. And then he gets sold naked to some soldier. <laughs> nice. Have you, ever, have you ever just wondered what is going on in your life? This isn't, what, this isn't how I thought it was going to happen. This isn't how I thought you were going to live out the promises that you made to me. How devastating is it when we think God's going to do something and something else happens. And I want to talk just for a few minutes because there's really two ways that we experience consequences in our life. Okay, one of the ways is we just do it to ourselves. Jacob didn't see his mother. Rebecca didn't see her son for the rest of her life, and they did that to themselves. Okay, they did it to themselves, and they suffered the consequences of it. The brothers were jealous, angry, bitter guys that couldn't enjoy life. And they did that to themselves. They chose to be jealous. They chose to have that attitude. They did it to themselves. And let's take it home a little bit to today. There are people today that are struggling financially because they're spending more money than they make. And now they're in a financial problem. They're going, why, God? They did it to themselves. They didn't manage their money properly. There are people that are struggling at work. 
and they're not, they're not, they're, they're, they're getting laid off or getting fired. And, and, and they, that happened because they didn't like their job. They were going to their job with a bad attitude. They weren't doing the job right. And they were creating all kinds of problems. They did it to themselves. There are times things happen that we do to ourselves, right? There are people struggling in relationships because they're self-centered, egotistical, selfish people, and they're hard to get along with. And so as a result, they struggle in their marriage. They struggle in their relationships. They do that to themselves. And then there are things that happen that, that we don't do anything wrong. Joseph did not do anything to deserve to be naked in a caravan on his way to Egypt, sold to some soldier. He didn't do anything to deserve that. There are times people get laid off and they didn't do anything to deserve to get laid off. It just happened that there was cutbacks and all these people had to go and they happened to be one of them. There are times where we face financial problems that, that, that has nothing to do with us. We didn't plan on the roof leaking. We didn't plan on the car breaking down. We didn't plan on somebody getting sick. We didn't plan on these expenses coming. They just happen. Things happen. And sometimes we do it to ourselves and sometimes we don't. Either way, it's exhausting, it's tiring, it's discouraging. And yet, in the midst of that, God is merciful. Even if I do it to myself, God comes and says, I have a plan for you and it's a good plan. And I'm gonna fulfill my plan in you. Those 10 sons were 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel. God still took those sons and fulfilled his plan in their lives. And of course, we know the end of the story with Joseph, but even now with Joseph being in a position where he goes, I have no idea why this is happening. I'm discouraged, I'm frustrated, I'm upset. God is working out his perfect plan in Joseph's life. And I want us to be encouraged by this. God is working out his perfect plan in our lives. He is. So I want you to have one thing that, that I, want, I want to share with you. And I actually had to text Doug to get this because he says this all the time. And if we get this and we internalize it and we believe it, it just helps us have hope. He says, never view God in light of your circumstances. Always view your circumstances in light of who God is. Listen, it doesn't matter where we are. It doesn't matter what we've done. God is faithful. And, and, and here's the reality. God is God and I am not, okay? God is God and you are not, God has eternal plan, God has eternal purpose, God has eternal reason for doing what he's doing, and you get to participate in it. You don't have to like it, you don't have to understand it, and by the way, you won't understand it most of the time, and a lot of times you aren't gonna like it. But that doesn't change who God is, and that doesn't change what God is doing. We know the end of the story with Joseph. Anybody know the end of your story? God let you in on it. You know, Dave, here's what's going to happen in 10 years and this and this. Nobody knows the end of the story. Joseph didn't know the end of his story. Did, did it, was that easy on Joseph? I don't think so. Could Joseph have turned one of two ways? Yes. 
We don't know the end of the story. What we do know is the God that we serve. And when we know the God that we serve, we can trust that God with the end of the story. Amen? So Doug is really a smart guy. I really like Doug. So he did this a few months ago. Did any of you guys hang on to this thing? Okay, this was really good. This is, the, this is the God that we come to worship. This is the God that knows the end of the story. Here are some things, and these are just a few things about who the God is that has our story in his hand. He's the God who is all-powerful. Here's some truths about God. I'll just read it like he wrote it so I don't mess it up. The truth about God is God has all power. God loves me with a perfect love. God knows everything. God understands everything. God has control in all situations and circumstances. God will always be there. God is perfectly good. God is gracious. God is with me. God never changes. God is merciful. Amen? This is our God. And so it doesn't matter what our circumstances are. And for the most part, it doesn't matter if I created them or they just happened. That doesn't change who God is. It may change how God works because if I created him, God is gonna work in me to fix what I did that got me where I was. If I didn't have anything to do with it, God is gonna work it out. God is able to do that. He knows the end of the story and you're part of the story. You're just stuck in the middle of it. You're gonna look back at the end of it and go, oh, oh. Okay, but we don't know yet. We have to wait till glory. Now, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm looking forward to that day, but I'm in no rush right now. Okay? So let's pray. Let's be encouraged. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're God. And Lord, that you know the end of the story for each one of us. And Lord, that story is for good. It's to glorify your name. And Lord, we know that you told us that the good work that you began in us, you're gonna continue to perfect until the day of Christ Jesus. And Father, we anticipate that. For some of us, we've just made a mess of things. For other of us, there's just been a mess made of things. But Father, we know that you know the end of the story and there's nothing that's going on in our life that is out of your control. There's nothing that's going on that changes who you are and what you're doing. So Father, I pray that you increase in us a trust in you that your nature gets penetrated down to the deepest parts of our being and is transformational in our lives day by day by day. Father, we seek you. We want to love you more deeply. We want to follow you more closely. We want to trust you more completely. And we're just going to do that to your glory and in the power of your son, Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. amen.